Hey, um, I want to start out by telling you how encouraged um, we, we started last week mentioning something that we were going to do on Wednesday nights and, and we call it pray for. If you remember back when um, the quarantine and all that started, we would go live on Facebook to for pray for on Monday nights and we prayed specifically for certain things. We would pray for first responders. We prayed for teachers. We, we prayed for the graduates. We prayed for everything. So we've kind of relaunched pray for. However, the difference is, is we are meeting in person um, and we meet on Wednesday nights at 630. And look, here's the deal. There's no agenda. There, there's no schedule. We get together as a body of believers and we simply pray. We simply pray. And I know that some of you are going, well, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. But can I tell you, that's the only way we're gonna survive this chaos is the church is gonna have to pray our way out of this. But here's what is absolutely amazing about Wednesday night. Um, we had over 100 people show up Wednesday night to pray. You wanna see our community change? You wanna see our world change? You wanna see our world healed? Church, we gotta start praying. And so this Wednesday night, we're gonna be right back here, pray for, um, and we're just gonna simply get on our face and we're just gonna beg God to heal our land, to heal our hearts, spiritually and physically. Um, so I'm excited about regathering together Wednesday night at, at, um, at 6.30. So make sure you're here. And if you are online, we wanna say thank you so much for being with us again today. Um, and we do miss you. We can't wait for the day that all of this is behind us and we're all back to normal um, and gathering together in God's house to worship together. But I wanna start out today by sharing with you probably one of the most highlighted moments uh, of my ministry career, if you would. And I'm just gonna be upfront. It ain't, it ain't very spiritual, okay? But this is like the pinnacle of, of being a student pastor back in the day. They did this event probably seven or eight years ago at Lanier Raceway. And it was called the Faster Pastor Race. You know what we did? You get a bunch of pastors together and we got to race school buses. Yeah, school buses. And so what happened was, is they donated a, a bus to the church and we took our student ministry out. All the windows had been removed and, and a bunch of teenagers got to paint a school bus. Like, is that that's not awesome enough anyway. So we, we were able to paint it however we wanted. That was a Wednesday night service. That's real spiritual, ain't it? We just painted. So then you fast forward to, I think it was a Friday or a Saturday night. We show up at Lanier Raceway. There was about five or six churches involved. And, and so we were able, um, at the very beginning of the night, this was a normal uh, race night for Lanier Raceway. They had all of their other races that they normally do. Um, however, the, the faster pastor race was something in addition to that. They got us there. They said, hey, we want you to do this event so we can raise money for missions. Lanier Raceway didn't care about missions. They just wanted us to be idiots in school buses. And so what we did in the very beginning of the night, we started the night off. We started the night off. We were able to, to put the, the pastors in their school buses and then we were able to load the, the, the buses full of all of our students and church members that you could pack on that. Um, and what we did was we did just a couple of laps at the very beginning. This is an opportunity for parents to take their pictures of their kid and, and you know everybody be special and all that kind of stuff. And so we did two laps and we ended up pulling back in the pits and then Lanier Raceway began their races. 
So then about midway through the night, they had told me and all of the other bus drivers, they said, hey, about halfway through the night, we're gonna call you back in and then you're gonna do a couple of warm-up laps. But what we're doing is we're saving your event till the very end. We want the school bus, the faster pastor race is kind of the main event of the night. And so we get there kind of the intermission time. They tell us, um, hey, you're gonna do a few more laps just to get the crowd excited. And I thought, okay, this is gonna be kind of boring because we're just sort of riding around. We're not really doing anything. And all of a sudden we pull out of the pit and the guy that was motioning us to come out, he looked at me and he goes, and I said, what? He goes, ram the bus in front of you. Ha! Who's not gonna take advantage of that? So we get in the first turn and they're all going about 15 miles an hour, not me. I goosed that sucker, all of the school bus would do. And I rammed the back of the school bus in front of me. The hood flies up and hits the back of the bus in front of me. Headlights have busted, taillights are busted, but the crowd went wild. So I'm sitting there, this little dork on my little phone book, because I mean, you ever driven a school bus? And I've got my little helmet. It was the cheesiest looking outfit I've ever seen. But I'm in there hooping and hollering by myself. And so after about two laps, they pulled us right back into the pits. And so they said, hey, but look, thank you for the excitement, but you're gonna be the last event. So here we are, the very last event of the night, and they brought us back out. The, the stands are still packed. Everybody's still going nuts, and we commenced to racing for about, I think they gave us 12 laps is what they gave us. And um, I was in second place, about to move into first, and my bus ran out of gas. <laughs> so I fired the pit crew the next day, and they were done. However, it ended up in chaos. We ended up having a big, bad wreck. Um, one of the buses locked to my bumper and um, their bus turned sideways and they got T-boned and they hit the infield wall and it shattered the infield wall. And three weeks later, Lanier Raceway closed down. So I don't know if the faster pastor did that or what happened, but anyway. But that was literally one of the most, most enjoyable things I have ever done in all of my life. But I was talking to the guy at Lanier Raceway the night, at the very end of the night, and, and I said, look, I said, I know that, you know, you sold this as missions, but what, what was the purpose of behind tonight? And he said, well, he said, you know, we've just been losing a lot of attendance. He said, nobody's really coming. And he said, and if they come, they never stay till the end. He said, they'll come and watch a couple of races and then they get home, they leave, they're not, they lose interest, they go home. So therefore we're losing all of the revenue as far as concessions and all the souvenirs. And so we just had to do something to create some energy. We had to do something so that people would hang on to the end of the night. And I can tell you that when I looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that has been my prayer for all of us as the church tonight or today, is that what we read and what we look at today, I hope that it will create in us, the New Testament church, the hope and the strength to hang on to the end. Because let me tell you, the main event is coming. What we're seeing, what we're experiencing is not the main event. The main event is coming when Jesus Christ calls his church home. And all I want us to do this morning is leave here resurrected with the hope that comes within that promise. Um, so if you've been following along with us, we've been looking in the book of 1 Corinthians really since COVID started. Um, and so we're gonna be in chapter 15 today. And my prayer is, is that this is gonna give us all the hope and the strength that we need to hang on. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what Paul is doing, what he's about to begin to do in chapter 15 is to address the first recorded heresy in the New Testament. 
You see, if you remember when we first started in talking about Corinth, it was full, the city was full of a bunch of philosophers. They were very smart. And so now that, that Paul's been preaching of the resurrection of Christ, he's been pre- preaching the resurrection of the church, you've got the philosophers who are basically arguing it and debating it and trying to debunk this promise that the Christian faith is built on. They're saying that the, a bodily resurrection is impossible. And so Paul is going to address that. And, and you read in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 27, it says that they would literally laugh at Paul when he would speak of the resurrection. So we see that, that, that they were trying to sow seeds of confusion and doubt into the New Testament church. And we see that they begin to ask questions. You don't have to look there, but in verse 35, Paul references that. He said, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? So they begin to doubt it. They begin to question it. But the reason that Paul is so, so passionate about wanting the church at Corinth to understand and to remember and to be reminded of this resurrection is because of the New Testament church. Our hope is found in the resurrection of Christ. That's it. Yes, it's, 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 it's encouraging knowing that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried in our place. But if you remove the resurrection, we have no hope. We have no life. We have no main event coming. And so he's going to talk to all of that. Speaking of the resurrection, that this is where our hope is found. Because you see, the church is beginning to doubt. They're beginning to question this resurrection. And what he wants them to understand is he said, look, if if Jesus stayed dead, then we don't have a chance. If Jesus stayed dead, that means that Satan won. But I don't know about you, but I believe that a dead savior doesn't have the ability to save. A dead savior doesn't have the ability to rescue. And so therefore Jesus Christ was resurrected so that he could rescue us, so that he could save us. Now, I know when I looked at verse, or chapter 15, there's like 58 verses. So we're going to walk through those one by one today. Um, I'm just kidding. Y'all didn't even get that. 58 verses is a lot of verses. Um, so I'm going to kind of sum up some sections, and then we're going to land where I feel that, that God has led us. Um, in verses 1 through 11, I'm just going to sort of sum up what Paul is kind of saying here in the beginning. Um, but in verses 1 through 11, Paul is basically saying, look, I've preached the gospel. You've received it. You stand on it and you're saved by it. And when he talks about sharing the gospel, that is all three parts, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. So we have to wonder, was, was Paul becoming frustrated? Was in his mind, he going, come on, y'all. Well, he told you a thousand times that it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And you can't doubt the resurrection. And if you doubt the resurrection, all of our hope has been removed. So we wonder, is there frustration in Paul's heart and his mind? And he's wanting them to be reminded of the messages in the resurrection. And then he goes on to expand on that. And he says, because of the resurrection, he was able to appear to so many. And then he began to talk about the work of Christ and all of those that Jesus physically showed up to after his resurrection. He said he showed up to to Cephas. He showed up to the twelve. And then he says he shows up to, to over 500 and he references them. And he says, some of them are still with us, but however, some are sleeping. 
And we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But when he references that, that some are still here, but some of those 500 are sleeping, he's literally talking that they have physically died on earth, that they've been buried, that they've probably had their funeral. But I love the way he uses the word sleeping, because what he wants us to see here is that that death is not permanent, that that death is not permanent. And so we're going to talk about that again in just a little while. But you know, what I love about Paul is he was always so personable. You know, he just spent some time telling us of all the people that Christ appeared to. All of the people that Jesus showed up to to present himself as a resurrected savior. But then we see in verse eight where Paul changes gears and he gets very personal. He says, not only did they show up, not only did Christ show up to all of these people, but Jesus also showed up to me. Jesus also made an appearance to me. You know, I can stand up here all day long and I can tell you stories of how I've heard that, that when people place their faith in Christ, that their lives have been transformed. I can tell you testimony after testimony of other people of how they've been um, released from the bondage of addiction or depression or anxiety or someone's been miraculously physically healed. I can sit and tell stories of all of these things that Jesus Christ has done. But can I tell you that if I can't share a story where Jesus Christ saved me, where Jesus Christ transformed me, then I don't have a story to tell. And so that's where I want you to examine your heart this morning. Before we go any further, you can sit and you can tell story after story after story of things that you've heard Jesus has done, things that Christ has done. But the question is, can you stand and tell your story? Can you stand and tell the encounter that you had with Christ? If you look back at Paul, he gives the easiest outline of how to share your faith and how to share your story. When you look at Paul's testimony, he, speak, he spoke of who he was before he met Christ. Then he goes and he speaks of his encounter with Christ. But then he goes on to tell us what his life was after he met Christ. So it's very simple. Can you look at your own life and can you see life before Christ? Do you remember when the Holy Spirit drew you to himself and you surrendered your heart and your life to Christ? And then can you look and see how things have been different since? But if you can't share that story, be reminded this morning that without that story, you don't have hope. You don't have a main event coming that we can celebrate, that we can find our hope in. So the question is, is can you share your story? And then he ends the first, verse, first 11 verses, and again, I'll paraphrase it, but basically he says, look, you've heard their story, you've heard my story, and you believed it. Their hope, my hope, and your hope is found, yes, in the death, yes, in the burial, but our hope is found, most importantly, in the resurrected body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is where hope is found. That's where our promise is found. And so now I want you to jump to verse 11, and we're going to start reading um, verses 12 through 19. So verses 12 through 19, Paul says here, now... 
If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. And in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. You see, up to this point, he's been talking about the resurrection of Christ's body. But what he's beginning to do in verses 12 through 19 is he's sort of changing gears and he's saying, because of the resurrected body of Christ, we as the church, we as followers of Christ, also have the resurrection from this physical body. Meaning that there's coming a day that we, we will leave these old bodies behind. That we will leave these old sinful, short, I promise I'm going to be 6'3 when I get that new body. 6'3, way about 225. It's going to be beautiful. But all this old stuff is going to be left behind. All the sickness, all the disease, all the impairments, because you realize all of that is the root of sin. And so therefore, that's going to be left behind as a result of we are leaving behind the old. And so he's wanting the church to understand that this is where our hope and our promise comes from. And so he's saying here, if Christ wasn't raised, our preaching is in vain. If Christ wasn't raised, you are still dead in your sins. If Christ wasn't raised, those already who have gone, who have no hope. And if Christ has, wasn't raised, you won't be raised either. And so if his dead body wasn't given life, then your dead body will not be given life. And so when we think about that, we think about, and again, this is, this is just how my mind works. You've got the church at Corinth who is a newfound faith in Christ. Paul has already said, you believed in the death, you believed in the burial, and you also believed in the resurrection. And we know that that truth is what has set them free. But now they're beginning to see and hear all of the doubt coming from these philosophers. And so we see that there's some of the church that is already asking, is that true? Is this real? And so these philosophers, the enemy knows that if he could get them to doubt the resurrection then he can debunk the Christian faith altogether because it's all founded on the resurrection of who Christ is. And so we wonder, what was kind of the, the morale of the church at Corinth? Were they discouraged? Were they being flooded with, with darkness? Were they being flooded with doubt? Were they being flooded with fear? Because remember, this is where their hope was found and now all of a sudden somebody's telling them that it's not true. 
And when we look at that, at how that parallels even the New Testament church right now, you don't have to look very far to get discouraged. You don't have to look very far to feel that there's almost a dark cloud that is looming over all of us. And if I could just be real, real transparent with you, I can honestly say that this past week has probably been the darkest, for the lack of better words, week that I've experienced through this whole journey. It's like every time we have turned around, there's been another death. Every time we've turned around, there's been another sickness. There's been another funeral to go to. There's been another funeral home to try to go to. And can I tell you from my heart as a pastor, when I see these disasters happening in homes, when I see disaster happening in these families, you know what my response is? I preach and teach, let's do life together. Let's lock arms because my first knee jerk reaction is if somebody's in the hospital, guess where I'm going? I'm going to the hospital. If somebody's losing a loved one, I, my calling is to be there and hold their hand through the entire mess. When somebody's diagnosed with cancer, my calling is to be there and lock arms with them and love on them while they're hurting. But because of the chaos going on in our world, I gotta pick up the phone and send them a text or call them. And I can honestly say it is very, very hard not to get discouraged. Not to get discouraged, not being able to do what it is that God has called me to do. We got a young lady in the hospital right now that had a terrible golf cart crash. And I wanna run to Scottish Rite. I wanna pray with that family, but guess what? They won't let nobody in. We got a lot of people around here having babies. Guess what? We can't be with them to celebrate that. Now again, I know there's other ways to celebrate, but, but, but my heart's desire is to, to be there. Our staff's desire is to be there. And so I got up Wednesday morning and I went out to, to go run and it wasn't to get in shape, but it was to simply to try to keep from getting old. I don't try to stay in shape anymore. I just try to, you know, not die or something. <laughs> and so I go and I'm, I'm running Wednesday morning and I was discouraged. And you ready for this? I was mad at God. I was mad at God. Because one of our church family members had just lost his dad. I've lost my dad, so I wanted to be with him and comfort him. And as I'm running, I'm discouraged, I'm mad. And all of a sudden, I looked up at the tree in front of me, and it was, when I pulled out of the, or when I left my driveway that morning, it was, it was kind of dark and gloomy and kind of looked rainy and very, very tempting not to say, you know what, I think it's gonna come a flood. I'm going back in the house, but I didn't. But as I was running in the midst of all of the darkness and kind of the mist that was going on, I looked at a tree that was at the end of the road, the direction I was running. And, and I noticed on that tree was just an orange circle. It wasn't the sun, but I'm sitting there. It was just one spot that was lit. 
And it's like the Holy Spirit of God just tapped me on the shoulder and said, Brian, look behind you. And so I literally turned around and looked behind me and it was, it was as if somebody had taken and cut, in the, cut the most perfect circle out of that dark black cloud and there was the sun. And in that moment, it was almost as the voice from heaven shouted, darkness doesn't stand a chance. Darkness doesn't stand a chance. In church, if we have ever, if we have ever needed to cling to that promise that darkness doesn't stand a chance, it is now. Because right now this world is full of doom and gloom and sickness and division and separation. And if we look at it for very long, it's gonna be very easy to become overwhelmed and anxious and depressed. And I read a thing this week where it said that since March that the suicide hotline has increased 600%. Because of people who are, don't have hope. People who are thinking their happiness is found in what we're living in in this world. And church, that should break our hearts that we're seeing depression on an all-time increase. We're seeing division. We're seeing death. And if our focus stays there, then we're going to crawl back in our shell we're gonna crawl back in our hole and we're gonna forget the fact that the church has got to stand up and be the resurrected light into a lost and a dying world. We've gotta to begin to treat this with urgency. But you know, I was reminded that what he reminded me in that moment of looking that in most cases when we, what it follows the darkest night what follows the darkest day is usually the brightest morning. Darkness doesn't stand a chance. I want you to flip back with me to the Gospel of Matthew right quick. Matthew chapter 28. And a lot of times you'll hear um, this story at Easter. And, you know, in, in Matthew chapter 27, it talked about the day that, that Christ died, the, the day that he he gave up his, his spirit in the day that he was crucified on the cross. And many scholars will reference that day as the darkest day in history. But darkness doesn't stand a chance. Look at verse one of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave and behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone that, and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen just as he said. And he said, come see the place where he was laying. Darkness doesn't stand a chance. His body was no longer there. 
And because of this resurrection, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ's body, you and I, this is where our hope is found because what was his resurrection is also our resurrection. And that church is why we are strengthened, why we find hope to hold on to the main event. Even in the midst of all of the confusion and chaos. Because what is his becomes ours as the church. We're gonna kind of wrap up as we look at the mystery of the resurrection. Your Bible probably has that little section labeled that in verses 50 through 58. We're not gonna read all of them. But I want us to look at that mystery of the resurrection. Verse 50, Paul says this to the church. He says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We spoke to that a minute ago. These earthly bodies are tainted by sin. And so therefore, because of his holiness, because of heaven and what heaven is, we can't enter into with these fleshly bodies. Some of us want to shout amen on that one. Verse 51 through 53, he goes on to say, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must put on imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. This right here is what gives us the hope and the strength to hang on. I want you to flip with me right quick because I love the way 1 Thessalonians, I love the way he does and mentions the same thing and, and, and almost just goes into a little bit more detail. But look in verses four, or chapter four, verses 13 through 18. He writes, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest of those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died before us. I think we all know someone who has gone on, who has passed away, who their earthly body we've laid to rest. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. You know, he speaks to those who have already gone on before us, who have passed away who have been buried in the tomb, but he references those, those who are asleep in Christ. It, it means that they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ while they were physically here on earth. But then he talks of those who are not yet asleep and guess who that is? That's us. That's the church who is still here, 
who is still alive and kicking. But you know, there's coming a day, church, what Paul is talking about. There's coming a day that we're gonna be walking through our everyday life. We're gonna be at work. We're gonna be at Walmart. We're gonna be at Target if you're my wife. We could potentially be, and we're praying at a college football game. Amen. Now don't go home and say, oh, he's predicting Jesus is coming back in the fall. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just giving you some different scenarios here. But there's coming a day when he says that the shout or the voice of an archangel or the trumpet, and, and this is like the first time I've ever seen really Paul trying to, it's like he's grasping to try to explain this. And I think he's having a hard time defining what it's gonna be like when the Savior calls for his church to come home. But can I tell you as a follower of Jesus Christ, the, the, the word of God says that the sheep will know their shepherd's voice. And when he calls, I don't care if it sounds like a trumpet. I don't care if it sounds like a bugle. I don't care if it sounds like a shout. I don't care what it sounds like, but the church is going to know the father is calling us home. And what Paul says then, he says in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. The reason that he uses those two is, you gotta understand, this is the smallest frame of time that he knew how to define. The twinkling of an eye is the blink of an eye. Not the up and the down, it's just one of the other. That's fast. And in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it said, we will be changed. But then he goes on to say, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And for those who have lost loved ones, our hope was not in what they accomplished here. Our hope is not in some monument, not in some headstone, but our hope that there's coming a day when that trumpet sounds, when the voice of God calls for his children to come home, it says that those graves are gonna open up. And it says in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, the body that is resurrected from that is not gonna be the same sin sick body that went in. It's gonna be the resurrected body similar to what Jesus Christ, our savior has had. And it says the dead in Christ shall meet in the air first. And so in my little common sense mind, I'm looking, guess what? That means we're gonna be watching this whole thing go down. But then it says, but for those who are left alive in Christ, we will be caught up. I looked at that word caught up. And when you look at the word caught up, it means taken by force. You probably wanna ask me, what's that mean? I have no idea, but it's gonna be something powerful. And I don't know if it's like a vacuum and we're just gonna go and it's gone. But as you continue to look at caught up, it means that we also catch up to those who have gone on before us. And we meet with those loved ones that we have lost and we have resurrected life. But then verse 54, 
In 55, it says in that moment when we're caught up in the air with our Lord and Savior, verse 54 and 55 say this, but when the perishable will put on the imperishable, it's followed up, skip on down just a little bit, and it says that the saying that will follow, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And when we think about Jesus and his garments laying in the tomb, that is when we can look back and we can say, cancer is left behind, addiction is left behind, depression is left behind, anxiety is left behind, and we are resurrected with a new sinless body. And that church is why we have hope to hang on to the end. It's not now. It's not now. But church, I pray that we keep moving, that we keep our hands to the plow because of what's coming. The main event's still right around the corner. And the heart of this passage is to to keep us engaged till then. And our prayer needs to become that when the trumpet sounds, when God calls his children home, that we as a believing in a body of Christ, a body of believers, that we take as many people we can with us. That we take as many people as we can with us. And then he closes out and he says, therefore, verse 58, The reason that therefore is talking here is is all because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toll is not in vain, not in vain in the Lord. You know, maybe this morning, uh, Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've hit an all-time low. Maybe you've hit a dark season and you're a believer and you feel like a worthless follower of Christ because you have doubt, you have fear, you have depression, you have anxiety. Maybe you've fallen back into addiction. Maybe you've had a terrible week. I was talking to a senior adult out in the lobby a minute ago and She said within a seven day period this week, she lost four very close friends to death. Not all to COVID-19, so don't go panic and think it's it's bad. So she said, Brian, she said, I've had one of the darkest weeks I've ever had in all my life. But I want you to hear me when I say this this morning, don't let the enemy whisper those lies into your ears that you're a worthless follower of Christ because you struggle or you've had a difficult week or you've got some difficult news or you've heard this or you've heard that. Because all that you're walking through right now, let me hear, let, hear me when I say this, it did not catch God by surprise. Lowell Whitmire, you've heard me say that name many times. I was with him yesterday and we were talking just of everything that is going on. And he said something that really was profound to me. He said, buddy, you know, Lowell, that's how he begins every statement. 
buddy. What's going on didn't shock Jesus off the throne. And can I tell you, I know that sounds so small. But there's somebody here that needs to be reminded that all of this junk going on in our world did not shock Jesus off the throne. He's still alive and well. But maybe this morning you need to come to this altar and if it's depression or it's anxiety or you just had a terrible week, I wanna encourage you this morning to bring it at this altar and leave it here. Leave it at the feet of Jesus. And when you leave it here, don't pick it back up and take it back to your seat. Do just that, leave it here. But now this morning as we were talking of the story, Paul shared what Jesus had done in all of these other people's lives. But then he turned it on his head and he said, but he also appeared to me and he shared his story. I wanna ask you this morning, do you have a story? Do you have a story of salvation? I'm thankful that I do. I was 12 years old and the Holy Spirit knocked on my heart's door. I didn't know all the answers. I was 12 years old, didn't really have a clue. I just knew the Holy Spirit of God was drawing me. And I was at River Bend Baptist Church. And they began to lay out some prayer to pray and I'm not even smart enough to repeat what they were saying. And so in the humblest heart that I had, all I said was, God, save me. It's all I knew to pray. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God flooded me and he saved me. Sure, I've fallen since then. I've made mistakes since then. I'm gonna make mistakes here in just a little while. But I'm saved by the grace of God. But there's somebody here today that's not. And I wanna ask you this morning, do you have a story? And if you don't, the word of God says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today can be that day. I don't care what junk you brought in this place. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. You've heard it preached. You gotta believe on it. You gotta stand on it. And if you do, it'll save you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, we don't normally do this, but, but God's led us to do this. And if you're here this morning and you know that when that trumpet is sounded, when you know that Jesus Christ calls for his children to come home, you know that you're gonna be caught up. That's you because you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you know without a doubt today that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, I want you to slip, simply put your hand up and put it right back down. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Everybody all around the room is raising their hands. But now this morning, if you could say, well, Brian, I, I don't have a story. Brian, I don't understand it all. But I feel the Spirit of God knocking on my heart's door today. And even though I don't understand it, I, I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. 
If that's you this morning, I want you to put your hand up and put it right back down. Anybody, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you just raise your hand, when we give this invitation in just a moment, I would ask, I would ask that you just come pray. But maybe this morning you walked in here as a follower of Christ and you're in a dark season. I want to invite you to this altar. But if you just raise your hand that today's the day you want to give your life to Christ, I would love to speak with you in just a moment. If I would just ask you to have the boldness to step out. God, I thank you for this time. God, I just pray that right now that we would respond to your spirit. We ask all of this in your name.